back in February, I shared a, a scene with you from one of my favorite movies. Um, it's Jesus of Nazareth. How many of you have seen this? Jesus of Nazareth by Franco Zeffirelli. I don't generally like uh, movies about Jesus because, you know, how can you, how, how can you do it? How, how can you really capture the God-man on film? You can't really do it. So I generally don't like movies about Jesus. And they usually butcher the Scripture so badly that, you know, I just get mad watching the movie, so I can't watch it. But uh, Zeffirelli, uh, his movie, which is quite old, I don't know exactly how old it is, but... Um, it's actually pretty good. He's got a few, a few rough spots in it that are not biblical, but for the, for the most part, it's quite, it's quite good. Last February, I shared the scene with you where Peter's standing on his boat trying to decide. Obviously, this is not uh, from the Bible per se, but obviously we understand Peter had to make a decision to go with Christ. And the way Zeffirelli presents it is, uh, Peter takes Jesus and Andrew and... and uh, Philip and a couple of other disciples across the Sea of Galilee, and they all jump out of his boat, and they start to walk away. And Peter's left standing on his boat. Matthew turns and looks at Peter. Their eyes catch. Matthew turns and goes with Jesus. And Peter stands on his boat. You may remember, I told you this in February. He stands there on his boat. He's looking at his boat, and he looks at Jesus. And he looks at his boat, and then he looks at Jesus. And you can almost hear you can almost hear his thoughts. Should I go with him? What will it mean to go with him? What will it mean to sell out to Jesus? And you can almost hear Satan whispering in his ears, don't go! Don't go with that guy. You don't know what's going to happen if you go with him. What about, you know, what about your business? What about your family? You can't sell out to this guy. He's a carpenter from Nazareth. So Peter, he looks at his boat one more time and he jumps off. And he turns around and he says to presumably his son, and he says, take her back to Capernaum. And Peter follows Jesus. That's where I left it back in February. But the next scene is a great scene. Next scene, that night, Peter and Matthew are getting ready to go to bed. They're laying there by the fire. And Peter said, I sent word to my wife. I told her I won't be gone long. Matthew says, don't lie to her. Peter says, lie? Matthew says, yeah, don't lie to her. You're never going back. You're never going back to Capernaum. We're never going to live in Capernaum again. You're never going to fish again for a living. We know the truth. Nothing's ever going to be the same. It's a great, it's just a great uh, dialogue there. Matthew says, we're the first to know. We're the first to know. And no one in the whole world will ever be the same again. I love that line. I love it. We are the first to know. It's what we've been seeing in the Scripture since early February as we studied through the book of 1 John to, to take a look at true conversion. And then we've spent the last month or so looking at the red words, the, the Gospel according to Jesus as we've done a brief survey of the Gospels. We've discovered, um, maybe to some of your surprise, I don't know. I don't know what church you came from, what denomination you came from. But sometimes it's quite a shock. When you actually read your Bible, you discover that biblical Christianity is, is quite a radical deal. It is a radical deal. 
biblical Christianity. I'm not talking about what denominations have done to it, but I'm talking about biblical Christianity. It's a radical deal. Jesus hasn't called us to be respectable church-going church members. It's good to be a church-going church member, but that cannot be the sum and substance of your Christianity. He's called us clearly, as we've seen in the last few weeks, to a narrow way, a fruit-bearing life, of being sold out and supremely in love with Jesus Christ. This is how Jesus talks about salvation. You don't have to be a scholar or theologian or seminary grad to understand the plain, simple, clear meaning of the words of Jesus. It's not that men misunderstand them. It's that men don't like them. That's why the Gospel has been dumbed down in almost every denomination. There's some good ones out there. I'm not going to... I'm not saying that there aren't some good churches out there. But there are many denominations who have taken the Word of God and they have, they have butchered it. They have edited God. They have edited God. It's not that men don't understand it, it's that men don't like it. And they refuse. They refuse to submit to the strong words of Jesus. We've seen it over and over again the last few months that becoming a Christian... It's not just adding a little religion to your life. It's not that. You know, you just don't add religion to your life. Biblical Christianity, biblical Christianity is, again, being sold out. It's giving ourselves away to Christ. I think I've quoted this several times uh, during this series. I love the way MacArthur says it. John MacArthur, one of my favorite preachers in the States. You know, he says, Christianity is not a makeover. Someone tell me what it is. It's a takeover. It's not a makeover. Jesus is not going to slap some paint on you. And you'll be better on the outside. It is a takeover. It's from the inside out. It's the whole born again thing that we've mentioned several times. The screenwriter that put those words in Matthew's mouth as he talked with Peter about everything changing, I, I suspect that he or she must have been a Christian, because that's really what happens. That's really what happens as we come to Christ. We said it several times through the series as well. Old things have passed away. Behold what? New stuff has come. <laughs> the old stuff? I'm not interested in that so much anymore. I'm interested in the new stuff. I'm interested in the God stuff. So we've seen Jesus say uh, as much as we've studied the red words for the last month or so, and we've heard Him say it in a number of very vivid ways. We've heard Jesus say it over and over again. This is a radical deal. Christianity is a radical deal. Jesus is a full disclosure God. He's not trying to fast talk anybody. He's not trying to trick anybody. He wants you to know what the score is. In fact, we heard Him a couple of weeks, weeks ago say, hey, you better sit down and really think about it. Do you really want to go with me? Do you really want to be one of my disciples? You need to sit down and count the cost. You know, Jesus, this is how Jesus talks. Some of these things we've talked about in the last few weeks. Jesus said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Matthew 16. 
Jesus says, For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, Strive to enter by the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Luke 13. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of My Father who is in heaven. Matthew 7. Jesus says, If you were of the world, the world would love you. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If the world persecuted Me, they will persecute you as well. That's John 15. This is how Jesus speaks. <laughs> this is how Jesus talks about being a Christian. Last week we saw Jesus say, follow Me to John and Andrew and uh, Peter and Philip and Nathaniel, and they all did. And remember we asked the question, how did they do it? They did it immediately, didn't they, Karen? How did they do it? But how, how were they able to do it? How were they able to simply go with Christ? Does anybody remember what our answer was? Pardon me? Faith. They believed. They believed He was God. Isn't that enough? Do you need more? They believed He was God. How can you not go with God? Someone tell me. You know, we ended up with that quote last week. I love it from C.S. Lewis. He says, you know, if, you, if a man, if a man uh, decides to go with God, how can he do anything but live? If a man refuses to go with God, how can he do anything but die? They believed it. And it changed everything. It changed everything in their life. It changed everything in their life. They really believed it. They believed that He was I Am. They believed He was the Creator. They believed He was the Messiah. They believed He was the Redeemer. Matthew said everything's going to change. I've always loved how Randy Alcorn says it. He says, if we listen to Jesus, we will never be the same. And I love this. Nor will we ever want to be. Amen? Nor will we ever want to be the same. You know, once you've met your God, your Creator, your Redeemer, man, you just can't go back to living small anymore. You can't go back to living like the world. It's just too confining. It's just too average. It's just too boring, actually, as compared to walking with the Lord Jesus. Essentially, Jesus said last week to those guys, those five guys, He said, follow Me. Come and you will see. I love that. Come and you will see how awesome I am. Come and you will discover who I made you to be. Only as we sell out to Jesus do we ever discover who we, were, who we were created to be and what we were designed to do. So tonight we're going to focus on just a few more of the, of the red words here in, in uh, John chapter 8. I really believe this is the last, one, <laughs> the last red word sermon. I, I really believe that. Uh, I really do. But if it's not, it's not. That's up to the Lord. It's, it's His call. I always defer to Him on this. So, just, uh, and tonight we're going to see, you heard the text read, we're going to see two things about true conversion or discipleship. So I want you to be on the lookout for two things. Jesus tells us how to know if, we, if we've really believed. There's a way to know if we've really believed and how to live like we've really believed. 
So there's a way to know if we've really believed. And then Jesus instructs us on how to live like we've really believed. So verse 30, he had, there's a, this is the end of a long discourse. You may remember um, John chapter 8 begins with uh, the woman that Jesus uh, forgives. They, they were about to stone her and Jesus does that beautiful thing He does and He sends her on her way and there's a discourse between He and the Pharisees. And it says here in verse 30 that some, pardon me, many came to believe in Him after some of the words that He had spoken to the Pharisees. Verse 31, Jesus therefore was saying to the Jews who had believed Him, if you abide in My Word, then you are truly disciples of Mine. So, from the words of Jesus here, we know there are not just two kinds of people in the world, there are three. There are believers, there are unbelievers, and there are people who think they're believers. Because Jesus says, this is how you know if you truly believed. Not just in some superficial way. So we can, we can easily deduce. Obviously, there are some who think they believe, but they don't believe. We saw it in Matthew chapter 7 some weeks ago. As Jesus said, many will be deceived. Many will be deceived. Many will say, Lord. But I will say to them, I don't know who you are. We understand, if we read our Bibles, we understand that there is a kind of belief that is not saving. Now, I know you don't hear this very often, but you don't have to really study very hard to see from Scripture that this is, in fact, the truth. It's an unrepentant kind of belief, a self-serving it's really all about me kind of belief. It's a self-justifying, you know, to be seen of men doing religion, charade kind of thing. It's, it's a what can I get from God and how can I use God to profit me in my life kind of faith. It's not a full surrender to Christ. It's I want God to be my Santa Claus. I want God to be my genie in a bottle. I want God to be my lucky charm kind of faith. You remember those words over in John 2, 23-24. It tells us that many believed in His name, beholding the signs which He was doing, but Jesus on His part would not entrust Himself to them because He knew all men. He knew they were just impressed with the show. <laughs> they hadn't really come to that place where they believed Him to the point where they would give Him all of themselves. And beloved, that's really what we come down to, biblically speaking. When the Bible talks about belief, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about giving ourselves away to Christ. Some of you remember John 6, 26. After Jesus had fed the 5,000 and the multitude followed Him to the other side of Galilee. You remember, you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, you, you came over here because you want some food. You know? It's not because you saw the sign and believed. You just want to use Me. <laughs> Don't you see this a lot? Don't you hear it in people's conversation sometimes? They just want to use God. I think God would be good to... I want Him on my side. I want Him in my hip pocket. I want Him working for me. This is, much of, this is the attitude in many places in the modern church. And of course, 
There's that great text, James chapter 1 and 2, where God says a do-nothing kind of faith. It is deluded, it is useless, and it is dead. There's a kind of faith that does not save. It's demon faith. That's what uh, uh, James uh, likened it to in James chapter 2. He says, oh, you believe? That's great. The devils believe. The devils are orthodox. They believe. They believe it all. They believe it so much they tremble, right? They believe it so much that they tremble. But it does not move their heart. It does not move them to repentance. And they do not do it. They believe it, but they do not do it. If we just read our Bibles really with superficial understanding, we can see that there is a kind of belief that is not a saving belief. Jesus, as I said to you a couple weeks ago, is really not interested in superficial commitments. If you read the Bible, if you read the Gospels, you understand Jesus is not interested in a superficial commitment. That's why He says, count the cost. Because if you go with Me, there's a death involved. Oh, yours. He calls men to die to themselves. But what's the beautiful part? We are raised anew in Christ. We are raised anew in Christ and we begin to walk as a son or a daughter of the King. There is a kind of belief that does not save. I think it's important that we understand that. Jesus says there's a way you can know if your faith is real. Someone tell me from verse 31. How can we know? What does He say? What's... What's the clear litmus test? What's the clear sign that we're truly disciples? What is it? We abide in His Word. Now, if we don't abide in His Word, Jesus has just told us, these are the red words, these are the words of God, these are not Jim's words, these are not ICM words, these are the words of God. If you don't abide in His Word, you are not a Christian. This is what Jesus is clearly saying. It doesn't matter how much religious stuff you did. It doesn't matter what the priest told you or the pastor told you or your denomination told you. None of that really matters. Jesus says, if you don't abide in Me, if you don't abide in My Word, you don't belong to Me. You're not My disciple. These are the words of God. These are the words of God. I think it's important that we understand what it means to abide. So I looked up the Greek word. The Greek word is meno. I look, uh, not a Greek scholar, but anyone can look in a Greek lexicon, right? All you got to do is look it up. And this is what it says. It means to, to, to abide in God's Word means to remain in it. It means to dwell in it. It means to continue in it. It means to tarry in it. It means to endure in it. It means to not depart from it. It means to be present in it. It means to be held by or kept continually in God's Word. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's the aroma of the believer's life. He's in the Word, and he's doing the Word, albeit imperfectly, as we have noted many times through this series. The King James Version says that you must, Jesus says you must continue in the Word. The NIV says you must hold to the Word. The literal translation is remain in it. I like how the message paraphrases it. It says you must stick with the Word. You must stick with the Word of God. It's the same imagery we saw several weeks ago in John 15. The branch must what? Someone tell me. The branch must abide in the vine. 
It's the same imagery. Jesus repeats Himself so we might come to understanding. So He says, he says, if you continue to hold to the Word and stick with the Word and remain in the Word and dwell in the Word and you don't depart from My Word, then you're the real deal. You're a real disciple. So I'll stop and ask you, by Jesus' criterion, are you a disciple tonight? Or have you been merely religious with Him? So what does it mean to be a disciple? I've used this, this uh, word several times. Uh, during this series. Quite a few times, actually. It's a very simple thing. What does it mean to be a disciple? It's very, very simple. If you look at your Greek lexicon, you'll see it simply means to be a learner. Let me ask you, are you a learner? Are you in God's Word? Are you learning about God in His Word? Are you learning about how God expects you to live in His Word? It really just means to learn, but biblically we understand that it means something more. And Jesus fleshes this out for us in Matthew 28 when He gave the, 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 uh, the uh, Great Commission. You remember what Jesus said? He said, go and make disciples so they'll know a lot of things. Isn't that what Je- is that how Jesus said? Go and make disciples so they'll know a bunch of stuff. Why are we supposed to make disciples and what are those disciples supposed to do? Someone tell me from the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and make disciples, teaching them all I have taught you that they may observe. That's a bad, I butchered it. But the key thing is that they may observe all the things that I have said. All the things that I have taught you. To observe means to, that they'll keep what I've taught. They'll attend carefully to what I have taught. Beloved, I want to say it to you one more time. I love this. If you're born again, you understand it. You don't have to become a disciple to be saved. You have to become a disciple because you are. (laughs) You don't become a disciple to get saved. You become a disciple because you are. And you cannot not, you cannot not live for this great God and honor this great God. So disciples are merely learners who do the Word. They learn the Word and then they do the Word. So this learning thing, you know, it's like, well, it's like osmosis, right? You don't, you don't have to really work at it. You don't have to put any effort into it. You don't have to block off any time uh, to, to study the Word. You don't, you don't really have to spend much energy. You know, it just, it's like manna from heaven. It just falls from heaven and you, it, it absorbs in your brain, right? Wrong! Beloved, God expects His people to give themselves to the study of His Word. You know, that's why we preach from the Bible. That's why we teach the Bible to our kids. That's why we have men's Bible study. That's why we have women's Bible study. That's why we have young adult Bible study. It's so that you and I would learn to be what God means for us to be, that we would observe all that He has commanded We've learned this lesson from Mary. You remember that great text, Luke chapter 10? Luke chapter 10? You remember? Mary, the sister of Lazarus. You remember? And uh, Jesus had come to visit this family. Mary's sister Martha was distracted. Remember? I'm in Luke chapter 10 if you want to go there. Uh, Was distracted with all her preparations. And she complained to the Lord, right? Lord, have Mary help me. 
Now, what was Mary doing? I know some of you will remember. What was Mary doing? Oh, she was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Mary, shame on you. Get up and help Martha. Jesus praises Mary. Why? He says, she's chosen the good part. She's sitting at My feet. She's decided to block off time to sit at My feet to receive My Word, to be changed by My Word, to learn what it is I, I, uh, about who I am and who she needs to be as one of My people. She sat at the feet of Jesus learning. She was learning to be a disciple and Jesus affirmed her at, in that. And He rebuked Martha, didn't He? Martha, why are you so worried and bothered about so much stuff? That doesn't really matter that much. Mary has chosen what matters. You know, don't we get our lives all busied up? <laughs> Too busy to spend time with God. Beloved, this is... I don't, I don't even know what to say about that. I mean, I, 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 can't, I can't even think of how to talk about that. That we profess to be God's people, but we have no time for God. <laughs> Beloved, this it ought not be this way. Mary chose the good part. She was a learner. She sat at the feet of Jesus. We see the same thing in the Apostle Paul's life. Some of you remember this. Uh, after God invaded Paul's life on the road to Damascus. Paul tells us in Galatians 1.18, what did, does anyone, some of you may remember what Paul did. It's a, somewhat of an obscure thing. But, but Paul went to be alone with God for three years. He didn't go to Jerusalem to talk to Peter and the guys. He didn't go to sit and listen to some man. He went and was alone with God for three years. He says he went to Arabia. And Paul gave himself to the task of, of learning God and the Gospel correctly. Mary and Paul were doing the very thing that God commands in Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God. What the will of God is. Beloved, if, you're, if, you're just, if your constant diet is the media you will be conformed to the world. You will be conformed to the world. God says, My people, I give My Word that My people will be transformed by the power of My Word. By the renewing of their minds. So how does the 21st century Christian not get distracted, bothered, and worried about all the many things in our life? Some of them quite difficult. How do we do that? By the Transforming of our minds from the Word of God. Beloved, you get the Word of God in you, <laughs> you're bulletproof, really. And I'm not saying we don't cry and we don't have hard times and we don't struggle. But God is our rock. God is our vast granite fortress. God's Word is our rock as He's promised those many promises to us. So how do, how do we allow our, our minds to be transformed? By spending time at the feet of Jesus. Spending time alone with God in His Word. 
It's what it means to be a disciple, to learn it and to do it. Verse 32 here says, And you shall know, Jesus says, and you shall know the truth. Verse 31, If you abide in Me, you're really a disciple. If you abide in My Word, you're a disciple. And if you're a disciple, verse 32, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Verse 31, Jesus said, you spend time in My Word, you spend time at My feet, you spend time alone with God, you learn My Word, you begin to do My Word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We understand the ultimate meaning of this verse. If you read down the next three or four or five verses, you understand that the ultimate meaning of this verse is that we are freed from the bondage of sin and death and hell. We understand that. We are free indeed. We are free. As Paul says in Romans chapter 6, thanks be to God that though we were slaves to sin, we become obedient from the heart to the teaching of the Gospel here. So we get the ultimate meaning about being free from sin and death and hell. But there is another meaning here, beloved. There is another meaning here. You are free to be a radical disciple. You are free. You have all that you need to be a radical disciple of Christ. You have all that you need to honor God in your sacrificial giving. To love and serve the church by using your gift in it. To love your wife or to love your husband as God has commanded. To glorify Jesus in your career or whatever your work is. To share the Gospel with the lost. You have all you need to do those and many, many more things. To observe all that God has commanded. You have all that you need We are free to do these things. Unbelievers can't do these things. (laughs) They can pretend, but they can't do them. They can't do them because they don't know the truth and they are not free in the sense that we are. If we really believe that Jesus is God, it's an awesome thing to imagine that He has invited us to go with Him. And because He is God, we are free to go with Him. You know, the way I like to say it is, we can do all that He says because He will do all that He says. You know, you can step out in faith in whatever the, the situation is in your life, whatever, wherever you struggle with, with obedience, you can do that obedience because He's God. Because He will meet you in that obedience. I'll... Rhetorically, you know, I've never done anything in faith that God did not meet me there. After the service, come up and tell me. Those of you who are born again, if you've ever taken a risk for God and He did not meet you there and provide all that you needed, this is who He is. We are free to be disciples because He's a great God. Not because our doctrine's perfect. Not because our faith is perfect. Not because the church is perfect. Because He's perfect. And He gives us all that we need. And abundantly more. I tell you all the time, 
We have the third member of the Trinity residing with us. Don't you dare make an excuse about not obeying the Lord. You not only have His Word, you have His Spirit. <laughs> and you have His promise. And He never doesn't keep a promise. He never doesn't keep a promise. Our freedom arises from the fact that He is the invincible God. He is the invincible God. And no one or nothing can stay His hand. We are free. You shall know the truth. Who's the truth? Someone tell me. Jesus Christ is the truth. You will know Me. You'll know what I'm capable of. You'll know My faithfulness. You'll know how much I love you. You know I'll never leave you standing in front of a giant alone. You know that I'll help you slay every giant in your life. He's an awesome God, beloved. Don't go out there and live it small. <laughs> Don't go out there and live it small. I challenge you tonight to walk like a son or daughter of the King. Let's go back to Mary just for a minute. Mary, the sister of Lazarus, she had sat at His feet, right? She had made time to spend uh, quality time alone with the Lord. She had drank deeply from the Word of God. She knew the truth. And she was free. She was free. Yes, she was free from the bondage of sin and death and hell. But she was free to love Jesus. Totally, completely, and utterly, she was free. She didn't have any baggage anymore. She didn't care what anybody thought. She didn't care how much it cost. She didn't care how uncool it was. She was free to go with God. You know the story. It's one of my favorite stories in Scripture. Seemingly above all others, even among the twelve, she knew what was coming. She seemed to know. She seemed to grasp the importance and gravity of the coming Passover. She seemed to understand what Jesus was about to do. She seemed to understand why He was going to Jerusalem. She was at that dinner party at Simon's house. You know, you remember the dinner party at Simon. Oh, the former leper, his house. Oh, and Lazarus was there. Oh, the formerly dead guy, he was there. And the disciples were there and others were there. And Mary's sitting there and she's listening to Jesus. And she's looking at Jesus and she's going, man, I love this God. He's an awesome God. Alright? I love this God. And she seemed to understand that He would not be with them much longer. He, she seemed to get this. Even more so maybe than the twelve. And she'd been thinking about this. And as she watched Him and as she listened to Him, her heart was about to explode. She couldn't stand it anymore. She jumps up she runs down the street to her house and she goes into her bedroom. She opens her nightstand. She takes this little bottle out. And it was the most valuable thing she had. It was worth a year's wages. And she ran back to Simon's house. And Jesus was sitting there. And He was so beautiful. He was so compelling. He was so desirable. He was her Messiah. He was her God. He was her Creator. He was her Redeemer. And she can't, she can't hold back anymore. She, she goes to him. She breaks the vial. She pours the perfume on his head. And the whole house is full of the aroma of a free child of God worshiping. 
And yeah, she took some heat. Some of the disciples didn't like it. She took some heat for it. But I'll tell you who loved it. You know who loved it. Jesus loved it. Jesus loves it when His free people worship Him in complete freedom. Taking no thought for cost, taking no thought for ridicule. Jesus says, leave her alone. She's done a good thing to me. And wherever the Gospel is preached, I tell you the truth, she will be remembered for how she loved me. She was free. She had sat at Jesus' feet. Beloved, do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? You can't love Christ like that and you can't worship Christ like that if you're not sitting at His feet. You don't know how awesome He is. You don't know how beautiful He is. You don't know what He's done for you fully and completely unless you're sitting at His feet. Unless you're in the Word of God studying, learning. Mary had spent time in the Word. She knew the truth and His name was Jesus. <laughs> and she was free. <laughs> A year's wages, what is that? Ten, ten euros an hour, twenty grand? Boom. I'm free to worship my God like that. Same thing was true in Paul's life. After his conversion, he spent those years with God sitting at His feet. Paul spent much time learning the truth. And maybe Paul was the freest man who's ever walked the planet apart from Jesus Christ Himself. He was so free. He was free to endure numerous imprisonments. He was free to receive 39 lashes from the Jews five separate times. He was free enough to be beaten three times with rods. And he was free enough to be stoned to death, basically. This is how free he was. This is how intimate he was with the truth. Only free men can love like that. Only free men can worship like that. Only free men can obey like that. Only free men can write Philippians 1, 20 and 21. You know the great text. Paul writes, it is my earnest expectation. Don't you love that? Is, I want you to listen to this verse. Am I, is this your expectation? Is this your expectation? You call yourself a Christian? Maybe you're here tonight visiting and you don't call yourself a Christian, but if you're here tonight and you call yourself a Christian, is this your expectation and hope? Listen to what Paul says. It is my earnest expectation and hope that Christ will be exalted in me. Whether in life or death, Paul says, I don't care. If I live, I exalt Christ. If I die, I exalt Christ. For to live is Christ, to die is, someone tell me, gain. You know, when you get to the place where that's real, <laughs> you're free. <laughs> you're, really, you're really free. That's about as free as a man can be this side of the grave. I've always loved what one theologian said about Philippians 1.21. He says, man, these people are the most dangerous people in the world. They are radically free. It's what Jesus is talking about here in John chapter 8. He's talking about a Christian who will spend time in God's Word, a Christian who knows the truth, a Christian who is in awe of how great this God is, a 
Christian who is free to understand and happily say, Jesus is better than anything this life can give and Jesus is better than anything death can take. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about genuine discipleship. So how do we know if we've really believed? Can someone tell me? What did we learn from the text? How, how do we know if we've really believed? How do we know? We abide in His Word. We are learners and then we are doers. We are learners who are free to do. How do we live like we've really believed? We do the Word. Albeit imperfectly, but we do the Word. It's what Matthew told Peter in Zeffirelli's movie. Everything's going to change. <laughs> Everything's going to change. And everything does change for those who have truly surrendered to Christ. I, to close, I'm just going to borrow some imagery from C.S. Lewis. He says, man, real Christians aren't, aren't, aren't to be like schoolboys riding ponies with saddles. He says, real Christians are free to ride bareback those winged, shining, world-shaking horses from the king's stable. This is, Christianity is not a pony ride, beloved. It is not a pony ride. God expects us to mount I love this imagery. Those winged, shining, world-shaking horses from His stable and be full-grown men and women, spiritual warriors in the world, making much of Jesus, making Jesus famous, sharing the Gospel with the lost. Jesus says, My people, they abide in My Word. They know the truth. And they are free to live the truth as big as they dare. That's my challenge to you, beloved. You, you go out this door, you go out into the world, and you live the truth. Huge. You live the truth huge. That's why God's left us on the planet. That men may see our works and what? Bring glory. Bring glory to the Father. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You that, that You give us a way to be sure we can know, if we're interested, we can know if we belong to You or if we've merely done some religious stuff. So we thank You, Lord. These words, mean, these words are important. These, Heaven and hell are in the balance. Eternity is in the balance. Salvation is in the balance. Thank You, Lord, that You make it so easy, so plain, so clear. We understand it. It's not that men don't understand. It's that men don't like what You say. But Lord, we confess as Your people, we love what You say. We love You we love Your Word, and many of us in here have experienced the freedom that comes with knowing the truth and doing the truth. We can do the truth. You've given us all that we need. We thank You, Lord, that You've set us free from the bondage of sin and death and hell. But we're also free to, to live this life in such a way that You are magnified and You are glorified. 
Oh Lord, that's the kind of Christians that we want to be. So help us, I pray, Lord. We confess our sin and our failing and our shortcomings and how we fail so often. We confess that to You tonight, Lord, but we pray that You will fill us up with Your Spirit. And that we would understand our inheritance and we would understand the power that You've given us and the freedom that You've given us. And we can go out in the world and we can be radical disciples. That's what we want to be, Lord. For these few moments that we have left, these very few moments we have left on this planet, we offer up our lives to You, Lord. We understand the red words. We understand them. We have counted the cost. And we love You too much. And we need You too much. And we desire You too much to ever turn away from You. We go with You. Happily. Happily we go with You. With our hearts full of joy, we go with You. Thank You, Father. We pray all this in the mighty name of Your Son. Amen.